In college, I took acting. I justified it at the time as a, a class that would help me become better prepared for controlling my emotions and controlling my responses when I would go to law school and become a lawyer. It was a great justification. The classes actually were a ton of fun because a lot of the skills that they teach you is, is more about how you get inside your own mind and how you convince yourself to, to express certain emotions. But one of the great things is that part of it, aside from playing like slow motion freeze tag, was about controlling the pitch and volume of your voice and about how you can use your voice to convey more than just the words that you're saying. So, for example, there are bike races in America. Then there are bike races in America. And then there's Tulsa. I'm Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. Clearly, I got an A in my acting class. It was intro level, so, you know, how hard can it be? I mean, slow motion freeze tag is part of the curriculum. But more to the point, this was kind of like, and I'm sticking with my school analogy, coming to Tulsa for Tulsa Tough, three days of bike racing in the iconic downtown center of Tulsa was kind of like going back to school. It had a real feeling of the first day of class again, where you haven't seen your friends for an entire summer, or in this case, almost 18 months. Sure, we had a little bit of a preview with armed forces. Let's call that kind of like the pre-first day of school party that some cool kids are invited to, and other kids kind of crash. But Tulsa was where it's at. It drew in people from Texas, from California, from the Midwest, from the South, from the East Coast, from everywhere. Everybody was at Tulsa. Men's fields had 150 guys in them. The women's fields were completely full. There were people who were aiming way above their level of capacity. And then there were people who were there to make a statement. We know the people who were there to make the statement because they, in fact, did it. You cannot talk about Tulsa Tough in 2021 without talking about Legion of Los Angeles, the men's team and the women's team. It was a complete and utter show of domination. We're going to get into much more detail on the men's team and the women's team and how they specifically did in their individual events in a few minutes. But just to lay out some facts and statistics, if facts and statistics are the kind of things that you want to see, on the men's side, there were no podiums that didn't feature a majority Legion of Los Angeles members. One podium, first through third, Legion of Los Angeles entirely. And there were only two other riders who ever found their way onto the podium. Danny Estevez of Best Buddies, and then Clever Martinez of Rocklands. On the women's side, Skylar Schneider and Kendall Ryan were everywhere. They won every single day. They finished second. They were powerhouses, and it's going to send teams back to the drawing board to figure out what they can do, when they can do it, and how they can do it next when we get to Crit Nats, when we get to Intelligentsia, when you get to Sunny King, when you get to all the races that are coming. Playbooks have to be rewritten to compete against Legion of Los Angeles or else this year is going to be dominated by Southern California sprinters and we're just going to all have to sit there and figure out what comes next. Something that has to be brought up at this point in time is the symbolism, is is also kind of the spirituality and the politics behind what Tulsa Tough in 2021 means. This is the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. It was something that fundamentally changed the demographics of the city of Tulsa in June of 1921. And you cannot talk about Tulsa Tough and Legion of Los Angeles without talking about what the team was doing before the races started on Friday afternoon. Tour that they took of the Greenwood neighborhood and kind of the mission that the team has brought itself forward as being a party of inclusivity and a, a group that is trying to bring people into the sport who traditionally had not been a part of the sport. Here is a weird fact. I went to 
probably one of the best public high school districts in the country, District 203 in Naperville. I studied history as part of the normal curriculum. On top of that, I wanted to go into history when I went into college, so I took AP, or Advanced Placement Level History classes in high school. I scored a 5 on the AP test, which at that time meant I got it. I really got it. I went to the University of Kansas. I received a bachelor's degree with an emphasis or two majors focusing on history. In all of that time, I never heard about what happened in Tulsa in 1921. The first time I ever heard of the Tulsa massacre was in 2019 when I watched Watchmen, a TV show on HBO. And when I saw the depiction in the first episode of Watchmen, I thought it had to be fictionalized. I thought there was no way that I, as a public education student who focused on history, would not have heard about something as dramatic as these race massacres that happened in Tulsa in the beginning of June. Real quick backstory on it. In 1920s Tulsa, it was a very racially divided, racially segregated city. There were 72,000 people living in Tulsa at the time. 3,200 of them were members of the Klan. It was an affluent neighborhood, the Greenwood neighborhood. And there were a lot of African-Americans who were returning from the First World War who had money and were trying to build wealth intergenerationally to pass on to the next generation. An incident happened in late May in which a 19-year-old black shoeshiner was accused of sexually assaulting a 17-year-old elevator operator at the Memorial Day parade that weekend. The woman never pressed charges. There was never a factual statement which indicated that this 19-year-old had been anything other than just in the elevator with her at the time, and there happened to be a witness who said he heard a scream. All this the complainant ever said was that he grabbed her arm. There's a lot of stories and a lot of history behind that. But what ends up happening is that rumors get around that a lynch mob was forming to lynch this 19-year-old. Black men from the Greenwood neighborhood, from what was called Black Wall Street, came to protect this boy who had been in prison, having been arrested based on the complaint of the woman and the other witnesses that had heard the sounds and seen somebody running out of the elevator. And violence took place between the black men who had come to protect him and the white mob that had come to lynch him. 10, 12 people died. Rumors of this violence spread and a citywide massacre ensued in which 35 blocks of Tulsa were burned to the ground. Estimated damage today is about $36 million worth of property was destroyed. There is no actual statistic on the number of lives lost. Uh, the state of Oklahoma put together a commission in 2000, in the 2000s, that indicated that there were confirmed at least 39 deaths based on autopsy and hospital hospital admission records. But there's never been an actual number. Estimates range from 20 up to 300. It was a fundamentally devastating moment to the black community in Tulsa and to what was the most affluent and wealthy black neighborhood in the country at the time. Greenwood also happens to be where Blue Dome is run, the first night of Tulsa. And the second night of Tulsa is only half a mile away from there too. So all of this race happens right there. And the symbolism of a team that was created and run by an African-American that has as its stars two male African-American athletes winning the first night and then going on to completely dominate the event cannot be lost. A hundred years later, the fans in Tulsa embrace Legion of Los Angeles. The riders in Tulsa embrace Legion of Los Angeles. Nothing is more telling to me than after Justin and Corey went 1-2 the first night at Blue Dome that I saw Travis McCabe, 
crit beef, and all right up to a couple of Legion of Los Angeles fans. They're easy to find. There were large numbers of Legion of Los Angeles gear out there. Lots of people wearing t-shirts and hats and supporting the team. And those supporters gently chided Travis McCabe about the dominance of Justin and Corey that night and the entire team. And Travis, with an absolute 100% self-awareness, agreed with them. He knew that his team, Best Buddies, had gotten beaten that night by the better team. It was an act of respect. It was an act of class. It was an act that shows the quality of the competitors. And it's undoubtedly true in the women's field, the level of respect that is being given to Skylar and Kendall Ryan. 2021 may become Legion's year. There's a lot of time left this year for us to talk about it, and there's a lot of time for us to discuss what comes next, and teams are going to be going back to their playbooks and figuring out how can we possibly beat Legion. But right now, this week, in comparison to last week with Armed Forces, shows that Legion of Los Angeles is legit. They are drilled, they are skilled, they've got the support, and they've got fans, and they've got large amounts of respect from a lot of the Peloton. Talking about respect, Wide Angle Podium Network shows the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. This show is a proud part of it. Go to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more and how you can become a subscriber. Please do support this effort and support this show and all the other shows on the network. This show is brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net. You're going to hear in the very first segment, Adam Mills, head coach from Source Endurance, talking, breaking it all down. Adam gave me tons and tons of notes to go through the next two days as well, so I'm going to be giving you the data and information that he gave me on how the men's teams fared over the next few days. We're going to be joined also by Celine Oberholzer from Wolfpack ATX to talk about the women's race. There is so much to talk about in this show. There is so much to get into right now, so I don't want to belabor any other further points other than to say simply unbeatable. That is what Legion of Los Angeles is right now. Simply unbeatable. Adam Mills and I are here breaking down the action. We're going to call it action of the first night of Tulsa Tough Blue Dome. The course itself is part of the story. It is a figure eight classic course, but it is also one of the fastest courses that you're probably going to see in USA Crits and also in the Pro Road Tour. What, Adam, does this course mean for the races that come with it? Well, every course, if you add enough speed to any course, it gets really technical. And the course is reverse direction from the traditional one for the first whatever number of years which means all the elevation gain is in one straightaway, and then the rest of the course you drop elevation. So it means riders just go really fast. And at the level of the elite men and the elite women, you add enough speed to that course and it gets pretty technical. For a lot of the, the lower categories, the masters categories, you're gonna hear things like, oh, it's such a flowy race, or I could move up really easily. Is that the same case when you're riding at 35 miles an hour in the finale of the men's race? Absolutely not. If you watch the men's coverage, you basically saw the same 25 guys the whole race. And it's not because the other 100 plus in the field didn't want to come up there and, and race. They just couldn't get up there. Let's focus first on the women's race. Last night... Skylar Schneider of Legion of Los Angeles finishes in first. Maggie Coles-Lister from DNA finishes in second. And Kendall, who was leading Skylar out, comes in third. The race played out much like just a very large, very fast, very intense group. There were only a couple of instances where somebody got up the road. Julie Kalitza from Wolfpack. Melanie Wong also from Wolfpack. There was a CWA rider, but for the most part... The race stayed together a lot. How did that play into the hands of Kendall and Skylar towards the end? Well, first off, when it's that fast and it's that hot, the number of people that you need to sustain an off-the-front effort goes up. So 
looking at the women's race, it was probably going to take four riders or more to make that happen for good riders. The women's field is probably the best overall criterion field you're going to see, except for maybe nationals, maybe even not, because some of them aren't going to go. But, but you have just this high speed, no one, no more than like one or two getting up the road. And it ends up like nothing ever develops out of that. And, and it, it comes down to a field sprint. And so this one comes down to a field sprint, but it came down to a field sprint in a way that really played into the world-class sprinter that Kendall Ryan is and Skylar Schneider is into their strengths because the last of the last maybe five or ten laps it slowed down right before it really picked up what does it mean when a race does that when it goes from being intense hard fast race to slow to suddenly going at almost warp speed so a lot of the teams and their pre-race strategies and, and discussions they'll say we want to do X, Y, and Z, typically breakaway scenarios, until this number of laps remaining, and then we're going to set up shop at the front and try and defend our sprinters and just go with that. So this, the field sprint's really like plan plan B or whatever. Um, you saw that reset happen. I, I think it happened because the first part of the race was so aggressive. A lot of the, the protagonists were tired. They were also hot. It was, it was hot enough where that would have mattered. Uh, but it really did play into the fact that you had like Skylar Schneider and Kendall Ryan, our world-class athletes, racing against equally awesome athletes, but they are national caliber by and large. I mean, there's, I'm obviously going to miss people here and there. But, but, you know, having that sprint result or that sprint outcome is would be expected with two laps to go when Kendall started. At what point in time does the order get set on a course like Blue Dome, where you come out of the final corner and you've only got 150 meters to go? You know, if you're going into that corner and you're not in second place, third place, are you off the podium? For the race of Friday night, about two-thirds of the way into the second-to-last corner, there's a, long, there's a long straightaway leading into it. At about that point... Your top five are set. They're going to come from the top seven riders. Maybe not in that exact order, but that's going to be the order at that point. So as long as everyone keeps it upright, it's going to be it's going to be that order. And so the result, as predicted, it goes to the biggest sprinters. Let's sprint. Let's sprint. Let's spring over to the men's race, which was just plain and simple fast. If you can compare and contrast a course like Clarendon or Armed Forces against Blue Dome and the way that a team or teams approach it, is it even a fair comparison? What happened a week ago and what happened this week where Legion of Los Angeles just completely dominated that race? So Legion of Los Angeles kind of lost a handle on Armed Forces races both, both days. And I say lost to handle. They both they finished well, but but I know those guys, and they they're probably satisfied, but not elated. They wanted to make a statement today or last night, Friday, and I think they did it. They did it in a way that I thought was pretty darn impressive. So oftentimes you have Friday nights known for a bunch of crashes again because at speed it gets technical. But to quote Brad Huff, like people think that their tires grip better at night, so they try different things. And so the best way to keep your entire team out of that scrum, out of that, out of that problem zone, is just to ride them on the front. And that's why you saw the same 25 guys up there, for the most part, pretty much all, all the race. We talk a lot about Corey and Justin as a result of their phenomenal sprints and their great results. Last night was proof that this is a 110% team sport because... Corey and Justin could not have done what they did without the other guys who were on their team, like Tyler and Sam Boardman. What was so critical about the way that those guys came to the race that made it the result that it was? Well, Tyler and Sam spent an absolutely ridiculous amount of time in the wind riding on the front. And that was, again, to, to protect the rest of their guys. And if you look... On a lot of the laps, it was Tyler, or yeah, Tyler and Sam, 
and the rest of the team. The other four guys on Legion were probably four of the next ten. You know, automatic racing, typically had one or two guys up there. Best Buddies is probably the only other team there that I thought was impressive and that just their roster. And and when, uh, you know, when you see guys like Eric Marcotte and, and that whole, and Travis, those guys go, it's, it's going to be serious. But they spend a lot of their race just sitting up there protecting their own riders as well. The interesting thing, so results-wise, Justin wins, Corey gets second, a one-two punch with Danny Estevez from uh, Best Buddies in third place. When you look at the strategy that was employed by teams like Project Echelon or Avolo or Wildlife at Armed Forces where they disrupted, they got up the road, is that possible to get up the road at a race like Blue Dome or is that race invariably going to come down to a sprint for the men's field? It is, it is possible. It's just like the women's example I use where you still need four, probably four to six riders that are strong and capable and committed to have a chance to succeed at some sort of breakaway attempt. We never really saw that develop um, in part because the speeds were so high and there was never really any break in the action. You never had the bubble and the, the reshuffling and the opportunity to create, to send one or two riders up to create an island to spring more people to, which would inevitably be like the problem for, for the teams that wanted the chase. But also the rate, again, it goes back to the, the race is pretty tight at high speeds and you just can't get there. You can't develop that situation, that, that island hopping. You did a really great article recently about why Southern California sprinters are so hard to beat. And just the sheer power that they put out makes them a huge challenge to the rest of the field. Looking forward to the rest of this season, so after Tulsa Top, when we go to Nationals, when we go to Tour of America's Dairyland, Intelligentsia, Sonny King, the bigger races in the fall, what is the strategy that's going to be able to compare to 30 seconds with a 2,000 uh, you know, watt jump? You know, what's going to be able to compare with that? You know, like I said in that article, it, it takes a world-class sprinter to beat a world-class sprinter. So you... You draw that line, so who's there? So in Tulsa, there's probably six-ish, maybe eight. But, you know, so it's, so that now you're down to six or eight. But then you look at, of those world-class sprinters, like you have to think about cycling and the criterion leadouts are you, you leverage speed and utilize course features to, to maintain position, advantageous position. And so the, the sprints really start whenever someone sets up shop on the front, that's the start of the sprint. And whoever sets up shop first has a dramatic advantage, both here Saturday in Tulsa and definitely on Friday. I think any team that would have set up shop at the front would have had a massive advantage starting at like five to go. Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us. We will be checking in with you during the rest of this season to find out just how good this crit, this crit season is. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Rob. Before we get into full-scale coverage of the second and third night of Tulsa Tough, I want to talk about another event that's coming up on July 3 this year in Anniston, Alabama. The Sunny King Criterium. Known as the King of the Crits of the South, Sunny King has been happening in Anniston, Alabama for the last 30 years. Get down there to Anniston, Alabama for your opportunity to become one of Crit royalty alongside former winners like Corinne Rivera, Kendall Ryan, Skylar Schneider, and Summer Moak. There is a lot to offer in Anniston, Alabama. Not only do you have a live stream for amateur and professional events, the pro teams are catered to with an event on July 2 before the opening of the races on July 3. And then again, after the races are over, there's another dinner for the teams. It's only 90 minutes away from Atlanta's Hartsfield International Airport, so it's super convenient, and payout is incredible. $25,500 split equally between the men and the women. Register today at AnnistonCycling.com and use the promo code CriteriumNation, all one word, for 10% off your entry. And we'll see you in Anniston, Alabama on July 3. What 
one thing, Celine, that unifies the entire weekend here at Tulsa Tough is the heat. Mm-hmm. Armed Forces was hot. I mm-hmm. think that this was hotter. And the heat played such a big role in everybody's races because it's two weekends in a row of like really, really hot races. So was it hot enough for you? <laughs> I mean, somehow it was hotter than Armed Forces. It, yeah, it was rough. I'll, yeah, it was really rough. <laughs> it definitely factors in in multiple ways, just from a logistical standpoint, having enough ice, having enough water during the race is crucial. And then you can tell from probably the live stream, even when riders just get pooped out of the back of the Peloton one by one by one, even if the pace isn't particularly hot, that's usually an indicator that they're just completely overcooked and just can't take it anymore. This was probably going to be one of the largest fields that you race in during the course of the year. Probably also one of the biggest selection of heavy hitters other Mm -hmm. than maybe like a national championship would be. When you lined up here, there was something interesting that I had not really paid attention to. How early you got to the corral, not just today on Crybaby Hill, but also yesterday. How early were you forced to get there in order to get a prime spot on the line? So yesterday we were in the start corrals probably around 40 minutes before the race and that was too late. We had pretty bad starting positions. Luckily, Summer had a call up, which is always nice um, so that she doesn't really have to worry about positioning in the corral. And today we were there as the men were rolling to their start. So we were ready to be the first ones there. We did not want to mess around. Um, And so we sat there for over an hour. Fortunately, they do offer a tent that kind of keeps you away from the sun and there's a and there's the kiddie pool filled with ice and cokes and gatorades and waters which was very helpful but this is definitely not the driveway you do not get lined (laughs) up at the driveway an hour in advance (laughs) no you show up like two minutes before your start and once you're done warming up (laughs) yesterday the tulsa art district is a l-shaped course it does feature an uphill but the roads are pretty wide you know so there is a lot of room to maneuver and there's a lot of road to play with so you can pick better lines or worse lines depending on what's going on. When you compare and contrast the women and the men, and I hate comparing and contrasting the women and the men just because the two races are fundamentally different. You know, the women Mm -hmm. have their own unique style. But it looked like DNA came yesterday at the art district with Legion of Los Angeles men's playbook in hand where they packed the front with four or five women at a time. They tried to control the pace Mm -hmm. and they tried to dictate. It just doesn't look like they are dictating enough because they routinely got swarmed. How did that race kind of play out from a team tactics perspective? I think you nailed that because they were at the front controlling the pace because they're obviously really confident in their sprinter, Maggie. She did really well on Friday and at Armed Forces as well. So she's been really consistent and they are confident and want things to come down to a sprint finish. Um, But the fundamental difference between DNA and Legion, the Legion men's squad, is that DNA wasn't really pushing the pace. They were up at the front shutting things down, but they weren't keeping the pace particularly hot. And I honestly think that was a big factor in why there were so many crashes and so much danger in Saturday's race, because riders would try to go off the front, but DNA would shut it down. So eventually there came a point where riders were frustrated. They knew that they would get shut down if they launched an attack. And then everyone was content to just sit in and wait for the end. And so the pace honestly wasn't that hot in pretty crucial parts of the race. So there were riders there that maybe shouldn't have been there. And a lot of riders who would normally be dropped, who were able to move up. And um, it was, to be perfectly honest, it was a pretty scary race. I don't often find myself frightened in crit races, but I was just happy that myself and my teammates made it out of that with all of our skin intact. Were there any sizable break 
efforts that were made on Saturday because, you know, I watched it from a couple of different perspectives. There was a real nice pavilion up top that I got to watch the first couple of laps from. And then I went down by the tavern, which was a really great dinner in Tulsa, by the way. So if you get a chance to go to the arts district, check out the tavern. But, you know, I didn't see anything other than the occasional one or two person off the front for 20 seconds or something like that. And I think the heat factored into that. Everyone was really suffering on Saturday. I think everyone felt like crap. So a couple riders were ballsy enough to give it a go, but it usually didn't last more than half a lap. And then they kind of got sucked back into the peloton with their faces bright red and just trying to recover and try to make it to the end. So the end result is that it's not really a repeat, but it was darn close to a repeat of Friday night where Kendall Ryan finishes in first place, Skyler right behind her, both from Legion of Los Angeles, and Michaela McPherson ends up in, in third. And honestly, the only reason that Michaela probably was in there in third and not Maggie Coles Lister is because Maggie slid out going into mm-hmm. the final corner. And that last two turns from the top of the hill down to the bottom of the hill... It was some pretty sketchy riding from the live stream. There were two pretty serious crashes right there. What what was going on? Even on the uphill, about two laps to go, there was a pretty rough crash that took a few riders down. So the last few laps of that race were carnage, <laughs> for lack of better words. But I think it just comes back to the pace not having been particularly high in the race and then everyone's willing to risk it at the end. I do find this is just my personal opinion that a lot of those moves were completely unnecessary, like riders not holding their lines, riders overcooking corners. And these are supposed to be like the best of the best. So I'm struggling to understand why it was such a dangerous race because some people will say that crashing is just a part of it, but I think that the all of these crashes that happened were 100% preventable and none of these riders had to go down. Yeah, obviously Maggie's okay. She started on the third day here at Crybaby Hill and, you know, that's very fortunate. Mm-hmm. The fact is, is that she went into that corner, that final corner, really hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she had gone through that corner and kept that line somehow and managed to keep from going down, I don't know how it would have turned out. I mean, she had a really good head of steam and she was one-on-one against Kendall. The kind of the question is, anytime you see a crash on the front in the final lap or in the final couple of laps, you, you have to wonder what was going on. You know, was there an issue with a course feature? Was it an issue of just somebody going in bigger than they wanted to go in and not being able to hold it? You know, like crashes at the back of the field are, and I'm not going to ever normalize crashing in a crit. Right. We, need to, we definitely need to look at the root causes of the crashes. Right. But when you look at a crash, first top five people in a crit in the final laps, you've got to be like, okay, somebody was doing something probably beyond their limits. And I'm, I don't know if Maggie would just pushed it beyond her limits because she was eager for the win and she saw, you know, blood in the water. But, you know, I, I, we, we should just get her on the radio and ask her. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. Uh, she is known to be a rider that risks it. And there are pros and cons to that. But when you crash in the last lap and especially crash yourself out, that is 100% an individual mistake. Because any course features that could have presented an issue, you've done what, I don't know, 25, 30, 40 laps by that point. You should be very familiar with any difficulties that the course might present on the last lap. And overcooking like that, like you said, it was risking it. Um, She really wanted the win. But I think that maybe she should give her legs a little bit more credit because she's got an insane sprint and she really didn't need to go into that corner that hot to take the win or to contend for it. And you're always a lot faster keeping it upright and giving it a good go with your legs than you are laying on the side of the road. (laughs) So now day three here, Crybaby Hill. This was your first experience on the hill. The ambiance 
uh, the atmosphere the first time going up it, what did it feel like to you? It was pretty awesome. I'm really glad that my teammate Julie was very adamant about us uh, basically camping out <laughs> to get good starting spots because that was very crucial, especially in those first few laps because it is a course that's very decisive pretty much right off the bat. And to be positioned well going into that first right-hand corner uphill is um, very, very important. I thought it was awesome. Probably my favorite day of the week um, or the weekend. I thought Friday was a little crazy and Saturday was also a little bit too crazy for my liking in terms of just risky riding behavior. But today, I think everything kind of came together with riders respecting the course, respecting each other. Uh, respecting the corners <laughs> and pretty much everything the course had to offer. So it was a lot of fun. The pace was really hot throughout the whole course of that race today. There were very few times that the women's field was anything other than strung out. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably plays into the advantage of safety when you've got a whole bunch of riders who are not, you know, catching their breath. They're really focused and dialed in on what's happening right in front of them. Skylar Schneider ends up winning again. Is this kind of sounding like, you know, deja vu all over again? <laughs> this was the first of day here that there hasn't been two Legion on the podium top three. Mm -hmm. Kendall here ended up fifth, so wide angle podium style, but Skylar wins. Maggie finishes second, proving that yesterday she would have probably been there, but for the crash. Michaela McPherson and Rachel Langdon in third and fourth. We're seeing a trend here. Right. Are these the best women in the field right now? Or, you know, are there other women who need to come to the forefront? I think, uh, I mean, the consistency goes to show that these are the best women in the field right now. There are a lot of factors that come into play in crit racing, like being really in sync with your teammates. And I know some teams are still working out those kinks, especially because a lot of changes did happen in 2020 with a lot of rosters. Like, for example, Wolfpack, ButcherBox, all of both of those teams had some pretty significant roster changes, and it just takes time to get that dialed. But at this point in time, yeah, you could say those are the best crit racers in, um, that we're seeing right now. There were two moves during the course of that race that I, I kind of question how they happened. The first was Ariel from ButcherBox. She got up the road solo, and she was off the front for two, three laps, and it didn't seem like there was much in the way of a chase or much in the way of a concerted effort to bring her back. The second one, which is really perplexing to me, is Skylar Schneider went up the road and nobody tracked her down. That, you know, like you're letting one of the most dangerous bike racers get away solo on a course where a person who is solo can have a really strong advantage. How did how did that come about? So you use the word letting, but I don't think anyone wanted to see that happen. It's just a that course is in particular a race of attrition. And at a certain point, you're just on your limit and you can't do anymore. Um, so she just was the strongest rider on the day and she was able to just ride away from the group. And no one wanted that. No one, quote, let that happen. But they just couldn't. They couldn't respond. Um, and that's all there is to that. It's easy to say that this weekend was dominated by Legion of Los Angeles, both the men and the women. Obviously, we'll talk in more detail about the men later, but you're our woman's correspondent. You know, what can the women of USA Crits, the women of the Pro Road Tour, the women of cycling in the United States do to, I don't know, combat, stop, compete with these, these two incredible talents? I think it goes back to a little bit what I was alluding to with uh, riders getting their team tactics really dialed. Obviously, Skylar and Kendall have their dynamic duo figured out and it's working really well for them. Um, and I'm pretty hopeful that throughout the season, other teams will start to figure out their team tactics, what works, what doesn't work, um, and kind of be a little bit more synchronized to be able to contend with that because it is... Um, it's exciting to see Legion do that, and it does kind of change things 
um, and force other riders to improve to a level that maybe they wouldn't have needed to initially. But it also does get old. (laughs) I saw a tweet today about the men's field and it said, well, the one thing that we really need out there right now in order to co- in order to compete against Legion of Los Angeles on the men's side is six Colin Stricklands. That's right. <laughs> I saw him ripping it up in the men's race. That was pretty awesome. You know, we got to go through and run through the women's power rankings here. Last week, it was Rachel Langdon, Michaela McPherson, Skylar Schneider, Maggie Colslister, and Kendall Ryan. I don't really see much of a need to change the names or the structure Mm -hmm. within that, but I do think we need to shuffle that up. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of names that I I do think that are worth mentioning as a honorable mention or somebody's to look out for Harriet Owen finishing fourth on the first night at Blue Dome, you know, still struggling from concussion you know, 12 weeks ago, had a nice conversation with her about it on Saturday after I hit my own head full of great advice. So if anybody needs good advice on how to deal with concussion and bike racing, Harriet knows. Also, Emily Ehrlich, we had put her into the power rankings preseason and she had fallen out with, you know, armed forces, but she did end up finishing fifth on the second night and ninth today on Crybaby Hill. So a top 10, not a bad result. So, you know, we've punched the numbers and the algorithm has gone into full force. And we've got Rachel Langdon from Instafun staying in fifth because she ended up on ninth on the first day and then a pair of four, uh, fourth place finishes on the second and third day. And the algorithm loves consistency. It also loves what have you done for me lately, which is where Michaela McPherson from Lux comes in sixth place, third place, third place consistency is 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 the name of the game here maggie drops from two to three she finished second and she finished third and it's not a end result of her not racing incredibly well but the top two they just they just were better just plain and simple they were better they were simply unbeatable kendall finishing third first and fifth brings in the second position here in this week so that leaves Skylar first place, second place, first place. I have never personally finished that many times on the podium in a row as her, but there's going to be an antidote to Kendall and Skylar. Somebody's going to have to rewrite their playbook because that's on that as of right now is unstoppable. Absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty incredible to see. Um, I mean, we knew she was in great shape coming from racing with one of the top world tour teams in the world to coming back to what she does best being crit racing. So we'll just have to see how it all plays out (laughs) throughout the remainder of the season. So we got two races coming up this weekend, or actually two events coming up this weekend. Tour of America's Dairyland, obviously in Wisconsin, and Knoxville for the pro crit championship. You're heading off to Wisconsin. That's right. Looking forward to those cooler temperatures. (laughs) (laughs) You can get some cheese curds and it's going to be wonderful. (laughs) So best of luck to you this weekend, Celine, and we will check in with you at the end of the weekend. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Now on to the men's race on the second and third day. Alan is on his way right now to Knoxville for the Pro Crit Championship, so it's just going to be me for this segment. But don't worry, I've got a lot of numbers and statistics and insight from Alan and also from Adam Mills from Source Endurance who helped me break down the race on Saturday as it was actually happening. So I want to go away from the analogy that we had earlier in the episode here about school, but not too far away because I want to talk about football. I know my good friend Hercules or Herc or Nick, actually, which is his real name, wants me to use the triple option analogy from Nebraska in its days of dominance. But I want to use more of a Green Bay Packers circa 1960 power sweep analogy. And I promise you this is all going to circle back to the dominance that was Legion of Los Angeles this weekend. So if we're going to use a power sweep analogy to describe the, the way that Legion has been winning races, you need to talk first and foremost about 
kind of the unattractive positions, the guards, the offensive linemen, the ones who are doing the hard work, not getting the great pictures taken of them. Legion of Los Angeles is obviously a full team concept. They have Justin and Corey as kind of sprint stars, but now you're also starting to see stars like Tyler Williams. No relation, of course, to Justin and Corey. But the work that those guys do at the end is based a large part on the kind of unsung members of the team. So in this instance, Alec Cowan, Sam Boardman, and Ty Magner. And that's where we get to the power sweep into the Green Bay Packers. It's a simple play. It is a play that you can drill into the minds of the players so it's cast in bronze so that they can do it in their sleep. Legion has been running the exact same power sweep play for as long as I've been watching them. I saw him run it at Tour of Murrieta. I saw him run it before at the 2019 version of Harlem. It is very, very straightforward, but when you've got guys that are that drilled and that powerful, you just run into the the sheer fact that you can't beat it. It's like the power sweep, the Vince Lombardi play from the 1960s. So here's how the power sweep in football works. You've got a full line. It is a power play. It is not sexy. It is not designed to go over the top. You are not going to get into the end zone every single time you run this play. It's designed to get you a first down. It's designed to control the game. It is designed to move the ball forward and to make the other team have to beat you at your strength. So full lineup of of offensive lines, so center, tackles, guards, or center, guards, tackles. You're running outside the tackles and running to the strong side, which is where the tight end is. So you've got three guys on that side as opposed to just two. And it's a wishbone play. So the quarterback is under center, and you've got a halfback and a fullback. The ball is ultimately going to go to the halfback, and he is going to follow the fullback around the outside of the tight end and into open field because you've got you know guys blocking downfield. Everybody knew the Packers were going to run it. Everybody knew Lombardi was going to call the play and the way that the play was going to be drawn up. There was no trick. There was no nothing about that. It was just hard-nosed football, and it was just, we are going to throw our strength at you Come and try to stop us. And more times than not, the other team couldn't stop them. The other team gave up three, five, seven yards. The ball kept moving down the field. Legion does the exact same thing. It is controlled. It is disciplined. And here is how it plays out with them. They bring six guys to the front of the field. You put three guys on the front, and then you've got Tyler You've got Corey. You've got Justin behind that. The first three guys sit there and rotate one at a time, 400, 425 watts, and they slot back in right in front of Tyler. And they do it again and again and again. And on the first, on the second night of Tulsa Tough, you hit 400 watts on the flat, 450 watts up the hill, 400 watts over the top, 400 watts down, and then right back in. And you put it in a way that it keeps the rest of the field so strung out that there is no way that somebody can get around the outside of that six-person line. And what gets better is that you find teams like Best Buddies or Automatic who start to add their own to the end of that. So now you've got all six of Legion. You've got four or five guys from Best Buddies. You've got two or three from Automatic. And then all of a sudden, the next best rider is 15th or 16th. There's no way that you're going to go over the top of that because by the time you get over the top of that, you're going to burn all your matches. What is amazing about the way that Legion does this is that they are so disciplined. They are so controlled. People will throw themselves off the front, and maybe they get some daylight. But the guys on Legion are just going to stay focused. They never get phased. They never get out of their rhythm. One guy rotates off, another guy comes up. And eventually, the guys who did throw themselves off the front, they're going to burn out because it takes so much energy, especially when it's hot, like Adam said, 
to keep up that consistency. So ones and twos going up the road is not going to be sufficient. So how does this work towards the end of the race and how does this make things come out almost in a predictable fashion with double wins or triple wins or complete sweeps of of the podium? Here's how it works. For the first 20, 30 laps of the race, so in a 60-minute crit, let's say for the first 40, 45 minutes of the race, you've got that three-person rotation up front. Then you start adding in a fourth person, and the pace starts to pick up. So at the Tulsa Arts District race, you had laps just under two minutes for most of the first, I don't know, 50, 55 minutes of the 75-minute race, and then you start bringing Tyler into it or you start bringing Alec Cowan into it, or you start bringing your fourth person into it, and that's when the pace starts to really, really pick up. You've been single file, but now you're going really single file, and anybody who was dreaming of being in there at the at the end, who's on the back now, they're gone. So with Legion, the last four laps of the race at Tulsa, now keep in mind, averaging just under two minutes for the for the most part, for most of the laps coming into that. 1 minute 43, 1 minute 37, 1 minute 33, 1 minute 29. They negative split the race so that absolutely nobody can come around. It was almost as if Leonardo da Vinci himself drew it up as a masterpiece. Maybe it could be Michelangelo or Raphael. You can use your master that you want to use. It is a piece of Renaissance art beauty. There are ways to beat it. There are ways that other teams can come and do the exact same thing. But Legion is so disciplined that they won't let that happen without a fight. One way, and this is how we start talking about armed forces, one way that you have to look at it is why did things change so drastically and so differently between Saturday and Sunday at armed forces and Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Tulsa. Was there a secret trick that Steven Vogel and Project Echelon used? No. They were able to defeat Legion's game plan. They were able to break it up. They were able to do the one thing that nobody was able to do on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which was isolate Justin, which was isolate Corey, which was to isolate the guys on Legion so that you could pick them off one at a time. Steven Vogel's win on Sunday at Armed Forces was not an accident. It was not some sort of random chance luck that happened that he got up the road by himself. That was a plan that Project Echelon put into effect at lap one of a 100K crit race, and it paid off for them. It's the same thing that Connor Saley did on the first day of Crystal City where he saw a breakaway of eight guys or nine guys and knew it was too big for those guys to carry it forward for the entire time at Crystal City, and he broke it up. And in breaking it up, he brought only one guy from Legion of LA with him, as opposed to the entire squad. Could you, could somebody, with the help of three, four other people, get up the road and match Legion person for person? Yeah, I'm sure you can, but you have to be willing to suffer, and suffer a lot more than what most human beings could possibly manage. And so they did it Saturday. They did it again on Sunday, which was very impressive because of the the just the nature of Crybaby Hill. Crybaby Hill, for those who've never been there, that is a nickname given to Riverside Park. Riverside Park is just right there along the banks of the Arkansas River in downtown Tulsa, and it features a hill. It is a almost a side street that kind of just sweeps at an angle all the way up to the top of this hill. And it is of enough steepness and enough length that it is a leg breaker style hill, kind of like West Dundee is during Intelligentsia. You come off of a flat stretch into Crybaby Hill, and that's where the crowd is. That's where the magic starts to happen. But that's never where the race is really won. The really hard part of Crybaby Hill is when you come back down and you get back into that finishing stretch along that flat road. Because it is a technical turn, especially at speed coming down off that hill, and there will be gaps and there will be breaks, and people desperately want to stay attached right there along the flat stretches. And so 
Crybaby Hill maintaining that level of discipline and watching Legion of Los Angeles do that lap after lap after lap where guys were throwing themselves off the front. There were people who were able to take advantage of the course at Crybaby Hill to get off the front. Most impressively, you saw Colin Strickland do it. He came and he tried to break it up. He did. And he had two guys with him, one guy from Texas Roadhouse and another rider from another team that sadly escapes my memory. Remember, I did hit my head on Friday night, so give me a little bit of a, you know, a uh, pass on that one. You see those guys get up the road, but it's just not enough. And so you're left with sprint finishes. And Adam correctly pointed out that there's only so many guys who are in this field who are world-class sprinters who can match Justin and can match Corey. One of those names is Tom Gibbons. Tom has a new team with him this year. And you saw them start to drill very well. They had, let's call it a rough patch for armed forces where they're still learning to learn each other, but they're improving. They're improving dramatically. So you've got guys like Brandon Rim and Dalton Collins that Tom is learning to rely on and they're learning how Tom needs to be brought to the front and how Tom needs to be shepherded through the race. And you add to that somebody like Davey Dawson, the flying mustache himself from Philadelphia, who is crit savvy, who knows how to race and knows how to race hard, you're going to start to see a team like Automatic getting up there, getting alongside Best Buddies, and maybe eventually getting along Legion of Los Angeles. And you're going to see them start to execute similar plays. And you're going to see this develop over the course of the season as people become more comfortable. Remember, even Best Buddies, as good as they are, and as skilled as they are as crit racers, are just starting to get to know each other. You know, Michael Hernandez and Travis McCabe had never raced together on the same team. Marcotte and McCabe had. It takes a long time to get comfortable to know body language, to get comfortable to know vocabulary without having to use words. Legion has that. They've been doing it for years. They've been doing it in the SoCal local circuit. As this year progresses, you're going to see more and more and greater and greater challenges. But for right now, for this week, this was Legion of Los Angeles' week. So the race on Sun Saturday ends in a field sprint. It ends with a full podium sweep by Legion of Los Angeles with Corey Williams taking the win and then Tyler Williams in second, Ty Magner in third. There's a name that you're going to start to see here a little bit more who finishes in fifth that night, and it's Clever Martinez from Rocklands. You may have heard Clever's name before on the show with Pickle Juice. He won the 1-2 field at Pickle Juice uh, two, two and a half weeks ago. He's slowly climbing up that trajectory towards the top. Guys in New York City have known him for a long time, and now he's being introduced to the rest of the American crit scene. So to get a fifth-place finish with that type of field is an indication of good things to come. And it's an indication of good things to come because he comes in third on Sunday at Crybaby Hill. Now, Crybaby Hill is the hardest of the three days course-wise. It is also the race that runs during the middle of the day because it is a Sunday race, so it's a 4.45 start time as opposed to a 7, 7 o'clock start time. Does it matter? I I don't know. It was really, really hot both days, all days, every day. But I can tell you by attrition numbers, Sunday was the day of attrition. You saw the lights go out on so many of the best guys in the country. Like Saturday, Sunday was a drilled event. It was an event that everybody knew how it was going to play out as it was playing it out. Colin Strickland gave it a great shot. Kerry Warner from Project Echelon gave it a great shot. People tried to disrupt. They did. But there just was no having it here. And that's why it ended up with Tyler Williams and Corey Williams going first and second with Clever in third. So there you have it. That's how the weekend played out. But now we got to get to the important stuff. 
going into pro crit championships, we got to look at the power rankings for the men. The algorithm is based on what have you done for me lately a lot. And so it is very prone to switches during the course of the beginning of the season. So you look at who was there last weekend, John Heinlein, Noah Granigan, Sam Boardman, Connor Saley, and Steven Vogel. We're going to have a near complete shift of those five names based on what happened this weekend. So sadly, Connor does fall out. He had a good weekend here during the course of Tulsa Tough, but just not good enough. 10th and 12th place finishes can't keep you in the power rankings. Likewise, John Heinlein, Noah Granigan, they did not show up to the race this weekend. Sam Boardman played his role as a teammate. He did his job. He got his guys to the line first, but no stellar individual results, unlike Armed Forces, where he finished on the podium. There's a couple of names that we need to mention first before we get down to what happened in the power rankings. Peter Olonicek from Project Echelon. The Blue Train Killer, the only person to actually beat UHC in a criterium at Lake Bluff, came away with a pretty good result on Sunday in sixth place, which leads you to believe that there are good things coming for him. He did finish 19th and 14th the prior two days. So, you know, there is an upward trajectory for him. Kerry Werner, the cyclocross star, 15th, 11th, 12th. Let's get to the top five here. In fifth place, Clever Martinez from Rocklands Racing. 12th place, 5th place, 3rd place. That is some solid, solid work from a relatively unknown nationally person. In 4th place, Dr. Steven Vogel. Yes, he did not race this weekend, but he's the guy who cracked the code on Legion at Armed Forces. You cannot discount a 4th place finish from a breakaway and then a solo multi-lap breakaway to win at Clarendon. That's going to keep you in the top 5. Now we get to the trifecta, the Williams trifecta, the Legion trifecta. Justin Williams with first place and fourth place on the first two nights. Tyler Williams, fourth place, second place, first place. Dad Watts really in effect here. And then the overall winner from the weekend, the number one Omnium, the number one in this week's power rankings, Corey Williams, second place, first place, second place. That is a stellar weekend. It is just awe-inspiring. They didn't settle Crip Beef because Crip Beef is not a moment. It is a movement. Let's see what happens with the rest of this year. Let's see what happens with the Pro Crit Championships. And then we'll be on to Sunny King, Intelligentsia, Boise, and so much more great road racing and Criterium racing action for 2021. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to find out more and become a member or a subscriber and help support this show. We'll be back next week to talk more about bike racing. We've got Criterium Nationals, the professional nationals happening in Knoxville on Friday night. There's a live stream, so please go ahead and watch that. Celine. Hopefully, Alan, myself, will be here to break it down and get the show out there. We're going to shift things up next week, and we're going to start releasing the shows on Thursday so that we've got a little bit more time from the end of the race to the time that we record to the time that we push this out. It came out this week that Sunday night recordings after racing for a full weekend, a little bit challenging and something that we weren't really expecting. But like I said before, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. We got that first contact. We're going to adjust. We're going to keep getting better. We're going to do more. So please tune again here next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. episode. 
that was amazing when that one person said that thing and then the other person totally like set them straight oh man that was great i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that again but hey since i have your attention now hello cyclocross friends new friends and old friends and soon-to-be friends my name's bill i host a, another show on the wide angle podium podcast network it's called cyclocross radio and we talk to the biggest stars in cyclocross and even the medium stars in cyclocross and some of the soon-to-be stars in cyclocross we also have a panel discussion we call the media pit with my buddy zach and michael where we go over all of the new rules that might be coming out and the calendar situations and races that happen it's a great time it's a great conversation we built an amazing community that we want you to be part of so go to wideanglepodium.com become a member there then go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to cyclocross radio do it do it now cyclocross friends